This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hello? Uh, hi, Ernie. Hello? Hello, Ernie. Hi, Ernie. Can you see me, Ma? Hello? Yeah, one second. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Uh, how are you? Testing, testing. Testing one, two, three. Yeah, I can I can hear you, Mark. Okay, I can hear you now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> Must be a dead zone. Dogs ready for their... So finally, it's been a, a few weeks <laughs> trying to have this call. Well, I think we had one call in the last two months. It seems like I think so, but uh, think so. but anyway, this is it—the big finale, chapter eleven, I believe, the last chapter yeah. of yeah. Um, "Round the Bend" by Neville Shute. And last time we were having this discussion uh, with a little bit of confusion about. So just to summarize the book to date, it's about this guy, um, Connie, who's a half Chinese, half Russian airplane mechanic who founds um, cult, probably too strong of a word, let's call it a movement of uh, sort of synthesizing Asian religious beliefs. into the craft of being an airplane mechanic, which becomes this uh, huge political football between the British and the Dutch. And uh, at the end, Connie uh, dies, gets a big pile of money from a sheik, and is told through the eyes of a man named Tom Cutter. And uh, sort of the big reveal at the end is that Tom is writing this book because um, the sheik's son uh, took over, uh, wanted him and all the people who knew Connie to write down what actually happened. No, that comes only uh, in chapter 11. Isn't it? This is chapter 11. This is the end. Yeah, yeah. But you're giving a summary of the, what happened before. Oh, well, what happened you're before and what happened now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, okay. okay. Pretty much. Okay. Fair enough. So the discussion we had last week was were these people worshipping work or um, is this about working, work and worship or is it yeah. Yeah. But they they worshipped work or they worked as worship. That was the discussion right. we had. And you mm -hmm. said that uh um Shaq Lins was if I Connie, understood yeah. you correctly, yeah, uh, yeah, Connie Shacklin worshipped work, and I disagreed. But then I thought about it. I think he started out as worshiping work, but then changed it around to use work as worship. Like whatever you do in your life, it is actually serving God. Uh, not making work as a, as God. Would you agree? So, so I think he hopes that is true. 
the interesting question for me is like he is i guess the real question is what is connie's religion right he is certainly very gracious and, cl and inclusive of other people's religion right he's whether it's his uh his uh, love interest, for lack of a better term, the poor, uneducated girl who cares for him and makes these little handcrafted idols and offerings and things like that, which, you know, even Hindus would consider a debased form of Hinduism. But he says, you know, hey, it's all a perfectly valid way of worshiping God, and as long as it makes you, you know, um, I'm not even sure what word he would use. But as long as it gives you a way to seek God and to become a better version of yourself, then that surely, surely that would count, right? So he's like he 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 gets along fine with imams and monks and and all this, but it raises the question: What exactly does Connie worship? Yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah, that's not uh, yeah, that's not uh, clearly explained because uh, he's not worshiping a Hindu god. He's not worshiping uh, uh, Allah. He's not uh, worshiping Buddha. So, right. uh, but, but but basically his movement, basically his movement, mm -hmm. is to becoming a better person. Um, as a person as well as as a work for workman because that pleases God. So, so this is the interesting idea then. Yeah. Um, that I would so given that it really feels like he's worshiping religion. No, I think I would say it's more like ministry in daily life. Okay, so let's slow down. Okay, because I think one of the reasons we get stuck is that, oh, let me put the times we get stuck is when I feel like I'm talking about some emotionally remote character, and sometimes you feel like I'm talking about you. No, I think I'm talking about you. Me. Yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> yeah. I was talking about you. Keep it on the subject. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, no, I mean, uh, no, no, not really. I think I, I was dispassionately discussing Connie Shacklin and Tom Cutter. I don't think you're personalizing it. Okay, anyway. well, so let me, but let that's me how make, you okay. are perceived. Okay. okay. So why do you think, so what do you mean by ministry in daily life then? Because that word doesn't seem to make any sense. I'm not a pastor, right? I'm not a pastor. That's not right. my ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a worship leader. So that's not my ministry. Mm -hmm. right. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a you know, miracle worker. But mm -hmm. my ministry, my ministry mm -hmm. is to be a best surgeon that I could be. Okay. My my ministry will be the best father I could be, best uh, son I could be, best uh, husband I could be. That's my ministry. And in my particular case, I gain strength to do that through my belief in Jesus Christ. Whereas Connie, what Connie did was 
make them a better worker, because that's what he said, right? I want them to be best engineer. That's all his motive was. Through their religious beliefs, whether it is prayer 15 times a day, whether it is offering, whatever. That's how I understood it. That's his movement. So, uh, like you said, you cannot call it a cult because, you know, he didn't ask anything of them. He didn't ask any money. He didn't ask uh, them to give up things. All he wanted them was to better engineers. But that caught the, you know, caught on with different groups. And basically, even though they were Hindus and they followed his teaching. And that's the amazing thing. Everybody could and adapt it to their own religious beliefs. But religion definitely plays a part in this. That's how I understood it. Okay, so I have good news and bad news. So the good okay. news is with that definition, I will accept your point that what Connie hmm. is talking about is ministry in daily life. Okay. Oh, okay. I'll concede your point. But then, like, okay. if that's the case, then I think I object to the idea of ministry in daily life. <laughs> okay. What is your definition? Well, no. I mean, if you want to use that definition, that's fine. But if hmm. that is the goal of ministry in daily life, then I have some concerns about that. Okay. So the way I heard you describe it, and you know, I may have misheard you or you may have misspoke, so let's keep it uh, open there. It sounded like you said that you have a series of roles and your goal is to do the best job you can in those roles and that faith in Jesus Christ is a means to fulfilling those roles. I'm not sure if what not you mean to say, but that's what I heard. So not means. That's, that's, a, say, that's the main okay. motivation. Is the motivation. Yeah, because, yeah. Because so it, is it, the it says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is, yeah, this is a basically one way of implementing Jesus' uh, commandment to love one another, love uh, your neighbor okay. as yourself. Okay, so, so let's... <laughs> According to Connie Shacklin, this particular book, Connie didn't really deal with too many Christians. The only Christian he dealt with probably will be Tom Cutter. Right. So um, he never told him to be a better engineer because Tom Cutter was not an engineer. Yes, he was. He started out as a mechanic. Mechanic and engineer, where I think we're, he did pass his engineering. They both started yeah. out as basically the same engineer, but basically Connie stayed with the craft and Tom moved up into management and entrepreneurship. Yeah, right. But, you know, but Tom... So, he, he, yeah. suppose he had, this is, we are, we are going outside the book, but suppose uh, he had talked to Connie deeply, he uh, to Tom Cutter, he would have said, you know, I want you to be the best here, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, passenger aircraft entrepreneur, company. or whatever. Yeah, entrepreneur, because um, because Jesus wants you to be the best person you are in particular, whatever. Like, that's maybe, how we show your love. To you. That's like, how we show your love. Maybe he could have said that. So, so I, yeah. I don't disagree that he could have said that, but it's not clear yeah. to me that he would have. 
right, is that Connie really seemed to care a great deal about being an airplane mechanic. Yeah. And not care a whole lot about anything else. Right? I mean, like, he wasn't really trying to, like, start a social movement. He wasn't trying to build anything. Like, what he was, you know. He's like, it was like, okay, if you want to build schools and orphanages, fine. All I want is what? A school to train more airplane mechanics. Right. Right? And yeah. right, like, that is literally the only thing he asked for. But all the wealth was in his. In his well, career. I would add one more. Yeah, best airplane okay. mechanic using your devotion to God, using your. Well, so here's the question, right? This is, so it is not clear to me from the text. Uh. Which is primary and which is secondary? I mean, certainly we can believe it's one or the other, but it's not clear to me that the text is definitive that it's one way or the other, right? Because clearly he was interested in religion even before he, you know, started his movement thing. Yeah, and he certainly thought as, and certainly the idea of devotion to God, she seems to see as a general positive thing in, in some vague, abstract, generalized way, right? I mean, he's like, he's a very concrete belief that it's a good thing to draw closer to God or divinity or whatever, uh, but he doesn't seem to have a very concrete idea of what kind of God that is. Yeah. Right? Right? Yeah. And so helping people find meaning in their work, helping people to find congruence between their traditional belief systems and the modern mechanized Western world of work, those are clearly very important to him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so I want to go back on this point because I think it's a very uh, it's very important to me, and I think there's some areas where if um, we can either find a way to agree or at least articulate where we disagree, I think this would be very helpful for me. Okay. Okay? So let me go back to what I said okay. before. Is that So the phrase that you were comfortable with was that seeing uh, faith as a motivation for doing good work. Yeah. Right? Now, there's a couple things that are interesting about that, okay? One is that uh, I think you have a more expansive definition of good work than Connie did, right? Connie, in both his teaching and his practice, the choices he made really seemed to make it clear that doing the work was more important than having relationships. No, he combined both. Um, Give me an example where he showed that he valued relationships at least as much as work. Because I can give you a half dozen examples of the opposite. Right? Yeah, no, where he simply said, no, I'm God going God. to give up relationships because of this work I have to do. Right? Every character okay. in this book basically 
And they're reluctant about it. They're not happy about it. But they all feel that they must sacrifice relationships for the sake of the work. Okay. Right? I that is the tragic you. nature yeah, of the story, you. right? Yeah, yeah. They consistently, yeah, yeah. and it's like, yeah. okay, well, if I have to choose between having a healthy relationship that makes me happy and doing the work, I will always choose the work because that's the noble, heroic thing to do. Yeah. Right? Tom Cutter does yeah. that when he goes, when he's going to go back. Nadenza does that yeah. when she joins a convent. And yeah. Connie does that when he doesn't, you know, marry this girl. Yeah. Yeah. You I know? agree with you there. I, I agree okay. with you there. But but that's their personal life. But Connie's teaching was, you know, when you uh, are doing the repair of the engine, aircraft uh -huh. engine, you pray. You pray to God to give you Right. So, so, okay. So, so, that's, so that's an interesting point there. Okay. Mm. So in Connie's um, theology may not be the right word, but in yeah. Connie's religion, I think that's a fair word. In Connie's mm. religion, doing work is good. Doing good work is good. Doing it for God and perhaps even one's relationship with God through religion is a good thing. And it's an mm. important thing. It is the thing yeah. to be honored and celebrated and pursued. Relationship yeah. with other people other than doing good work, did not seem to be a significant factor in his teachings. Right. Yeah. He was not in a yeah. in that. Yeah. So in neither that. in his teaching nor in his practice or his choices did he really place any particular value on relationships with human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, hold on. I'm in a dead. Uh, I'm in a dead zone here. But keep talking if you want. Okay. Can you hear me though? I can. I can hear you. Yeah. Yeah. See, um, you know, we don't know too many things about what he discussed with the imam, what he discussed with the monks, uh, and what he did with the Hindu priests, and things like that. We don't know. We are not privy to that. But um, to me. Uh, because of that, people's lives were changed and uh, their behaviors changed. And I think you're right. So he basically gave up uh, relationships in order to be uh, yeah. a good engineer. Uh, yeah, and I need to say something in a sense. Like, in one sense, he never really talked about practice of others, except that in himself, he seemed to be extraordinarily good at being fully relationally present with human beings in the moment, right? There was yeah. a sense of being with him. So, like, there was a sense in which he actually did deeply love people and sort of care about them. Yeah. But the thing was is that there's this weird disconnect, right, between that kind of emotional presence and any sort of um, worthiness being attached to it, right? Yeah. And in fact, you know, and you know, this is a guy writing in the shadow of World War II, right? Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, and I think a lot about you know the men of that generation, the greatest generation they call it, who yeah. uh, were you know considered great providers and upstanding citizens, but emotionally yeah. uninvolved, you know? Right. Um, 
and this whole and so there's so so there's one so okay so there's one critique of it is that you know uh is that his his religion doesn't really have a clear place of honor for human relationships in the grand scheme yeah. of things. Yeah, because right? okay, so that's that was not what, what he was after. Yeah, that was not right, what he that's was the thing. after. That was, that was, that was not, and his religion did not. Yeah. Right. That was not what he, so the question arises, what was he after? Right? And what is the thing that he's worshiping? And, you know, it's funny. You remember my, I wrote this little story about Pluto and about how the world shifted from kind of being ruled by Ares, the god of war, to being ruled by Pluto, uh, the god of money and death. Hmm. Yeah, that's probably uh, and, true. I agree. You know, and, and you know, as I say, you know, I think kind of a fan because compared to what life was like before World War II, where nations were basically periodically at each other's throats, or conquering each other, living in a world that's dominated by something like free trade, despite all its abuses and inequities, it's mm. it's like it's a way better deal yeah. to compete on the in the marketplace than on the battlefield. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so, in that sense, I am sympathetic to Connie's project mm. of like these people are facing this deep existential angst between their traditional religions and modern western society and if you can yeah. give them a way where they can find that like that is a um a generous act on his part right yeah. to try to give people a way to do that okay but uh, the flip side of that though is that he pays a heavy price for yeah. doing that definitely yeah right right, right. and and what's more, the thing is that, is, is that so too does society, right? You know, mm. I thought about this a lot, you know, especially during this pandemic, where, mm. you know, the fact that the world of being so deeply interconnected, mm. right, is one reason why this virus spread so quickly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. Right, you know, and that's all these traits. But on the other hand, it is also this global flow of information and coordination that allowed us to you know, come up with vaccines and drastically reduce the death toll compared to the Spanish flu, right? Yeah. The, you know, and so, you know, there is enormous good there, but there's also a heavy price. And interestingly, one of the things I've been, words I've been playing a lot with is mm. it's easy to label things sort of good or evil. You know, to look at, uh -oh. mm. oh, still there, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in this, going back to the Garden of Eden, perhaps. But, you know, yeah. just say, well, okay, you know, is Buddhism good? Is Islam evil? Is, you know, work good? And, like, you know, it, 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 it's helpful to be able to do that because it lets you simplify and make decisions. But it's also dangerous. You know, when you start labeling people or belief systems as one or the other uh, because mm -hmm. you end up doing things to defend one or attack the other that often end up um, um, horribly, and so I've been yeah. playing with this phrase "grievous" instead. It's like, okay, this is a wonderful thing, but there's something sad uh, about it as well, and something 
grievous and something regrettable. This identification, like even though it's 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 a it's a noble, generous act, even though it's heroic, even though it is beneficial in so many ways, there's something tragic about it as well. Yeah. And this gets to my second critique of Tani's mm. religion, mm. which is precisely that it is a religion. And this is something that I, I was actually just uh, chatting with somebody about this. I posted a, a blog article. Um, and it was on this issue of law versus gospel. Mm. And the thing that maybe that's actually a good episode title because it's uh, kind of is that the um, and I actually was reading a song I wrote a few years ago back when I was in Elk Grove. And like mm. on the one hand, the law is wonderful. If you're in a place of isolation despair where the world is just running wild, you need the law to bring sanity and order and clarity and identity in the midst of all this chaos and conflict. So the law okay. is an incredibly good thing, right? Mm -hmm. But the, you know, the, the, the ugly truth is that the law also brings death. And that is why Christ had to die because salvation yeah. could not come from the law. Uh, yeah. And the, uh, one of the tragedies that burdens my heart greatly is I mm. sometimes feel like the Christian church has lost the ability to tell the difference between law and gospel. I mean, both are present and both are there, but yeah. it's like there's this blind spot in our heads where we slide from one to the other without realizing it. And we say, well, this is Christianity. Right. It's like, well, what do you mean? Yeah. It's like, okay. You know, uh, and, you know, our politics yeah. is very toxic because of this. And yeah. even our theology, I think it gets toxic because of this. In that we, um, and I think this is a deep-rooted instinctual response, sort of this uh, amygdala freeze we talked about before, is that in times of crisis, in times of uh, threat, in times of when we feel adrift and confused and conflicted, we naturally reach for the law, which is an understandable response. Mm. And I guess in some sense, it's, it's adaptive in the sense that, like, if you don't do this, you die, right? Yeah. To be able to make a quick snap decision about good and evil, right and wrong, and have the courage to act um, instead of just being frozen under the weight of the impossibilities and the contradictions and the cost. You know, like yeah. in every superhero movie, you know, the superhero, like uh, we watched um, uh, the Spider-Man movie last week. And there's no, right. you know, it's not really a spoiler to say, at the end, Spider-Man does the heroic self-sacrificial self thing to, you know, save the universe, because that's what every hero yeah. does at the end of every movie, right? Right. Uh, except Infinity War, where they did it and they didn't succeed. But anyway, um, uh, but like, this is what a hero does. Um, and he pays the price 
Um, uh, but interestingly, even there, like in Spider-Man, he's always the guy who like does the right thing at the cost of relationships, at right. the cost of people knowing who he is. And it's like, yeah. okay, you know, I, I acknowledge that that is true. Okay, that there is um, a thing there that is worth doing, but there's a you know, and in the movie, there's a lot of tension between Spider-Man and Doctor Strange on like, okay, you know, it's one thing to say, I'm going to pay the price for this, but then other people have to pay the price too. And is it, you know, do we have a time, do we dare take the risk to find a better way? And the thing that, um, that grieves me mm. is not that we sometimes have to resort to the law. Mm. Um, but that we, um, I guess maybe the right word is we fail to grieve that. Is to say, yeah, we had to do this. And it was necessary. And it was the best we could do at that time. But it still, you know, had some horrific consequences. And we need to grieve that. And then my definition uh, that I got from my friend Janet, the definition mm. of grace mm. is the ability to do better next time. Because if we get stuck in that cycle of law and harsh decisions, you know, mm. that's the amygdala freeze. We end up repeating the old thing. And the question yeah. is, okay, well, next time, how do I grieve and heal that, mm. that, that wounded part you know, the part that I needed to help me do uh, mm. this hard thing so that we can do better next time. Yeah. And, you know, this was the uh, reason I did a little mini uh, fan fiction piece about what if, you know, Tom Cutter had met a priest who had also had a tragic failed marriage mm. and was able to speak some sort of peace and healing and redemption to Tom Cutter. Right. You know, and I, you know, I can't imagine, maybe I will, I don't know if uh, I'll wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning tomorrow, I'll write it down. But, like, I don't know, like, given the the hole that Connie and Medenza and Tom dug for themselves, I can't mm. see any redemptive out. Right? Because it feels like they, they're in this, this horrible bind between um, the good that Connie was doing Hmm. with his religion and the uh, you know, horrible relational personal cost yeah. that they paid to sustain what even they aren't sure whether or not it's a lie. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And the um and, you know, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Like, you being a doctor was a wonderful thing, right? You coming to America, uh, giving us all these opportunities, building us this house. I was just reminiscing about, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, whatever it was, we bought a house and we got a video game and a microwave. It's like, yes, we finally arrived. We've achieved the American dream after, you know, a decade or more of, you know, not being sure if it was going to work. Right, there was mm. enormous suffering yeah. and sacrifice, and you know, incredibly hard work. You, all the sacrifices you had to make, you know, yeah. in order to create this life for us. 
And I'm incredibly grateful for that and, you know, delighted at all the people you helped. But there was also a price we paid. Of course. course. You know? And one of the things that I wonder about is whether you have had a chance to grieve the price that you paid for that. I'm not focusing on that at all. I'm always. I, 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 I know you're not, my father. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, the thing that is curious to me, and I will mm. just state this as an observation without a value judgment. Yeah. Is that most of the misunderstandings and conflicts mm. and the times I have felt not seen by you mm. have been around issues related to your career. And that's just an observation. Okay. And, you know, one of the reasons we started this project was to work on our relationship, right? To help us right. talk better and give us a focus. And it is, it is interesting to me, and I don't know if maybe this will feed into the next book we choose, that um, the times where I feel like you can't hear what I say, yeah. Or perhaps when I react strongly to what you're mm. saying mm. is when I feel like your identity as a doctor conflicts mm. with your identity as a father. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I stopped being a doctor so long ago, but you're still having these issues. It's all personalities, Ernie. Well, so this is a well, question. Nothing to do with me being a doctor. Ooh, 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 ooh. This is interesting. Mm. This is the thing for me mm. that is at the heart of the gospel that I mm. have great difficulty explaining to anybody, uh, mm. even to myself. Mm. And like, if we could figure out a story that would let us explore this, that would be extraordinary. I don't know where to find it. But it's this. Mm. Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but yeah. Christ who yeah. lives in me. And in yeah. Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, you know, slave or, or free, male or female. Yeah. Um, and that I become, you know, to those under the law as those under the law and those outside the law uh, as one outside the law, right? Is that these things that were deeply entrenched with him as his identity, as a Pharisee, as a Hebrew of Hebrews, um, as a persecutor of the church. These were things that when they got in the way of the gospel, he understood that this was something that had to die so that Christ could live more fully in him. And the thing that I believe in the depth of my being, Father, is that you love me. And you want what is best for me. You want to help me. You want to be there for me. You want yeah. to um, show love me as Christ does. And you want me to grow in my ability to do that. Yeah. And there are things that I bump into when interacting with you that I see as, you know, this is not the person I think my father wants to be. This is not how he relates to me, how he wants to relate to me. 
and I don't want to say, I mean, you can say it's personality, but that just doesn't really, um, I mean, that's the whole other podcast series I have called Duosophy, is that, well, personality really is just the role we like to use. They're not necessarily mm. our core identity. In fact, I actually read a, listen to a, I was listening to this amazing paper that says, you know, most people think, this is a well-researched, peer-reviewed psychology paper, most people think that, you know, your core personality traits, like whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, uh, yeah. you know, are your authentic self, and that if you act mm. differently than that, you're going to feel inauthentic. But mm. they did this rigorous series of controlled trials and said, no, actually, both subjectively and objectively, however we measure it, everyone believes that's the case. But in practice, mm. when they are actually more open and accepting and mm. uh, happy and engaged, they all think that they're being authentic and that's their true self. Contradict in complete opposite to what they predicted. And that, that what people are being their true self is precisely when they're most open and caring and compassionate and empathic. And all these virtues that, you know, Connie actually demonstrates, you know, that actually, I mean, this is the idea that our true self is, and when we feel our true self, is actually when we are most like Christ. And that what we call personality is arguably the coping skills we use when we are in context where we don't feel safe or that we can be our we can be that self does that make any sense yeah see the but the, the problem ernie um, you're right when we are like christ is the best uh, thing but being human we are not always like that and well of course uh, the, uh, again, going back to the fact that we are yeah. doing this, the fact we are spending time, we even talking about these things, shows that I'm not acting like the doctor, like you said. So, uh, it's possible I'll never meet all your expectations. It will never happen because I'm human. So uh, I'll I have my weaknesses. So I cannot be the perfect father you may want me to be. But the important thing is I'm trying. Right now, the some of the things that we are talking about sometimes you repeat what you heard or the thought you heard or things like that. Those are all things I have learned. Not perfectly, but I still do uh, miss them. Mr. Mark, but uh, you know, we are going away from the book, but uh, I think I agree with you that uh, you know, I cannot say you didn't feel that way because you felt that I didn't see you, I didn't hear you, uh, maybe even I was not there for you uh, because I was a doctor. That's what you mentioned, right? Did I hear you say that? Almost. Yeah. Uh, because I was creating a practice, I was building a practice, and I was uh, doing things. Right. um, Go ahead and finish, and then I'll clarify what I actually said, and then. Mm. Hello? Yeah, can I? Are you finished? Yeah, yeah, I'm finished. Yeah, so go ahead. Okay, so a couple of things there, Dad. Mm. 
Mm. I think this is really important because I'm not good at communicating this and I need to learn how to explain this to people. I don't expect you to be perfect. Okay? Okay. I do not expect you to be perfect. Okay, that's the first thing. Okay. Secondly, and and, but this is important because you know I I really believe this and I mean this and I need to figure out how to articulate this in a way that people can hear. Secondly, is that I don't need you to change. Okay, I love and accept you as you are. Okay, that's the second thing. Follows from the first. Okay, but I thought you wanted me to change. Well, so. You wanted me to see you. Right. So, 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 right. So, so, so here's the thing, right? And this is the thing I'm having a hard time articulating. So I don't need you to change, but I want you, for your sake and my sake, to become more like Christ. Yeah. Right? Okay. And so, and this is a hard tension to hold and to express. Right, because if I express it too much one way, it sounds like I'm saying, well, it doesn't really matter. Whereas if I express it the other way, it's like, well, no, I really need you to do this. And like both of those uh, aren't accurate. Um, and there can lead to all these misunderstandings and confusions. This is why it's really hard for me to express this. Um, and in fact, this is, I think, one of the weaknesses of our theology is that we is that we, you know, we've thousands of pages written on all sorts of esoteric factors, but this is such a, a critical aspect of the gospel, and we don't really have good language for talking about it. You still with me? Yeah, but um, on the one hand, you say you don't need for me to change, mm-hmm. but but you want for me to change. Is that what you said? For your sake and my yeah. sake? Yeah, is that for both for your Yeah, but why can't you accept me? Why can't you accept me? Okay, this is where the word accept is, is, like I said, this is really hard for me to um, uh, work with English language, right? Is that what do you mean by accept? Right? Hmm. That's where it gets stuck. It's like, yes, I do accept. There's a wonderful song my friend Robbie suggested. It says, Hmm. God loves me as I am just as I am today, but far, far too much to let me stay that way. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, with God, yeah, right. definitely. And, so, and, and that's yeah. the way that I want to accept yeah, that's, you. That's Father, exactly right? the way you should do it. That's exactly the way you should do it. You accept right. me just as I am, and then uh, we grow together. Right, okay, right. So Communicating better. Communicating better, conflict resolution better, and all those things. But uh, that's the way it should be. You you don't put it as a condition for me to change before we do those things. Right. Yeah. Right. That's the basic theology, right? That's the basic theology. But but, but I think the, the, and this is the point that is, um, again, one of these subtle points that's hard to articulate, but I want to try, right? which is that there are certain things we can't do until you've grown in those areas, right? So there's certain things I can't say to you because I don't think you're able to hear them or I don't feel safe enough to share them. 
And so that's why, like, we're having these indirect conversations around books because, like, okay, yeah, the desire for a relationship is there. We want to embrace and build on what we have. But we're also acknowledging that there are certain things that, you know, the C.S. Lewis says we can't speak to God face to face until we have faces. It's one thing to say, yes, of course, I want a relationship with you. I value the relationship I have with you. I celebrate the relationship we have. We have an extraordinary relationship, my father. I am so grateful for that. Okay. But there's so much more that it could be that I believe that you want. And I would love for us to get there. Okay. Okay. So are you with me? You feel like yeah. you're hearing me? You feel, okay, you, you believe all that? Okay, so here's the thing that I have observed. Hmm. Okay, and I'm not sure what to do about this, but it's something that if we could talk about it, hmm. then I think that we would have, if we, and this is the thing, it's hard to even talk about these things hmm. uh, because there's all these amygdala triggers hidden in here. But I'm going to try. Yeah. And it is that, um, the times where I have felt that you were uh, not there for me yeah, was not because you were practicing as a doctor. Mm. It's because I felt like your identity as a doctor got mixed up with your identity as a father. And the two, because I think you had to spend so many decades of your life leaning into that medical identity just to survive and, you know, in your career and provide for us as a family. And so I don't want to diss that identity or that role you took on because it was so incredibly valuable, so incredibly necessary, so incredibly important. Okay. But it feels to me, yeah. Go ahead. But but at the same time, that identity is something that, um, and I don't understand why or how, but I could point you to several episodes during this book series where I feel like this happens, where like okay. something triggers your amygdala uh, hmm. and, you know, then like, I feel like I'm, you're not hearing what I said. You're disagreeing with me. You're arguing against something I never said. Like this happened to me many times, you know, like three or four times during the course of this book series. And oddly enough, it was always around your sort of professional identity that I had these kinds of conflicts and experienced those. I don't those. think so. I don't. Well, so, I mean, so, if you so, felt so, that oh, way, oh, so, there's no way so, I sorry, can say you sorry, feel it. So, Father, yeah. so, Father, yeah. we have yeah. this all on tape. What exactly yeah. are you disagreeing with? And are these matters of fact that information... My identity as a doctor. As a, you're saying all of this is because of the, my identity as a doctor. No. You but, said so. Let me be more precise. I don't agree with certain things. Okay. I don't agree with you. I'll finish. You finish, okay. and then I'll tell you. We have uh, two, so, so this twelve the, minutes. This is the inter- twelve minutes. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, I got a, uh, one o'clock with a different group. So this is okay. the interesting thing. So what? Mm. So there's two different ways you could. So this is this is exactly where it happens. Is <laughs> mm. you say, well, I disagree. It's like, what exactly are you disagreeing with? Because I made several statements, and yeah. are you just saying you don't like them, or are you saying that one of the statements I made had a factual error or a difference of opinion? 
Okay. So which statement are you disagreeing with? Okay. If you felt that way, there's no way I can say it's wrong, right? I mean, if you felt that way, that's how you felt. But okay. I think that was the wrong conclusion you went to. That so, so when sorry, I was there for you, let me finish. Okay. You said I, when the times that you felt that I was not there for you, it was because of my identity as a medical profession came into being. And that was the conflict I had. That's why I was not there for you. That you right. felt you felt that I was not there for you. Is that correct okay. to say that? So 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 let, let me break that down into several things. Okay. So there were several incidents over the course of these recorded podcasts. Yeah. Where I would make a statement. Yeah. And you would say, you know, and you would say, I disagree. Yeah. Just like you did five minutes ago. Okay. Yeah. And in those moments, hmm. it was not at all clear to me what hmm. you were disagreeing with. Okay. And it really felt like, just like it did now, that it was very important for you to disagree. And it was not at all important for you to understand whether you even heard me correctly. That's why we repeat things. That's yes, why I understand. Things. <laughs> we repeat this over and over again, and it hasn't gotten any better. Okay, so first, this is the phenomenon I'm talking about. This is what I mean where I feel not heard or that you're not there for me, is that I say something and you immediately react with that I disagree. Okay? So that's, that's yeah, the, that's because the type I, of I, I have to explain that to you, Ernie. I have to explain that uh, to you. This you, you, you. I have to disagree with you, right? How can I agree what, with you if what? I don't agree with that? So when here's said, the thing. That, when you felt, so, you said father, my personality as a, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, okay. Go ahead. Well, whatever I said, mm. let, me, let me be, let, let me state this thing. So this is the, um, um, this is the thing that, let me give you a counter example, okay? It, it, it is when um, uh, I said, I think earlier in the conversation, I said something about uh, religion or, or Kanye or whatever. He goes, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't see that. I don't think that makes sense. And, and, and we have this discussion where you'll even say, like, I'm not sure if I'm hearing you correctly, but it sounds like you're saying this. Mm. Right? And let me call that, for lack of a better term, a gracious response to perceived conflict is to say, whoa, what's going on here? I'm not sure if I heard you right. As opposed to, um, um, and I, I don't want to find too negative a word. I disagree. <laughs> I dis a disagreeable response, let's go with that, for lack of a better term, right? Okay. It, 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 right, is it, it, that there's a, that there is, and by the way, I do this too, uh, I, I feel the need to uh, uh, stake out my position and say, wait, I don't agree with that, right? But when I do that, it is, uh, I mean, another word might be defensive, right? It is like, wait, I have to defend my position. It's like, and and I, I've been wrestling with this question quite a lot the last few months when I'm talking to people about, you know, vaccine or politics or whatever. It's like someone says yeah. something, it's like, ugh, I just 
can't let the conversation sit there where this person thinks that I might be agreeing with them. I have to say something. I've been wrestling with the question, why do I have to do that? Why can't I just sit there and let them vent and get it off their chest and then try to explore what's going on with them so I can help them? And the answer I have come to is that when I feel, and sometimes I do, which is interesting, is that somehow there's a combination of how secure I feel with, about myself and how secure I feel about the relationship. That if I feel very safe with the other person and very secure with, within myself, then I find it easy to act graciously. But when I don't, then I find it very tempting and easy to react defensively rather than graciously. Did that make any sense to you? I, I agree with what you said. That's how you feel. And what you said is right. But when you say something about why I did things that I did, and I have to explain to you that's not that may not be correct. So I, I'm that? open to I'll the give possibility. You an here. So, okay, sure. Yeah, if you do it in two minutes. Example. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said that um, when you felt that I was not there for you, it was because I was uh, my my medical thing came in there. I wanted to provide for the family. I wanted to build up a practice. I wanted to do these things. That's totally not correct. There may have been part of that, but I really was doing what I was doing, was helping people, learning how to treat the diseases, how to cure uh, conditions. And I was okay. involved in that, not- Father? Uh, a, yeah. But that is not at all what I meant to say. Trying to be a good father, good uh, husband, and good uh, church member, good uh, follower of Christ. It was all there. It was not just my practice, was not my religion. So I was not saying that, and it didn't occur to me that that might be true until you just said it yourself. Mm. Because the funny thing was, I was not in any way talking about that, Father. That was not at all what I was trying to say. And the fact that you brought it up and dragged all that in there was totally not my doing. No, I understand that. I think we don't have time for this, but we completely missed the chapter at all. We have to do it all over again because we went off on a tangent. But I think I'm going to listen to this and write, write down uh, the things that we said, and then I'll reply to you. That would be amazing. Thank you, Father. I will yeah. send you the link once I post this, and yeah. then we can do yeah. a, sort of an epilogue. And if there's anything in the chapter that you want to comment on, we can do that too. All right. No, I think we, yeah, I think we should do the chapter. We didn't touch the chapter at all, but we should do it again. Yeah. Okay. Love you, okay. Father. Uh, love you, Ma. Well, uh, Bernie, uh, can you can I call you when I finish here? I have a couple of questions. Uh, sure, just real quick. Bye. Okay. Bye. -bye.